Ale, you said two to three minutes late. I know. I completely lied about it. <laughs> I hate you, dude. Just so you oh, know that, oh, okay? I, I just, are we live right now or no? We are live right now. Oh, I was going to say something ignorant. Okay, good, good. <laughs> how, how close to ignorant was it? Uh, pretty ratchet. <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty ratchet. Yeah. I just need you to know. I just had a 20-minute uh, monologue, okay? Yeah. Waiting on you because you told me two, maybe three to four minutes late. That was yeah. a 20-minute dialogue. I, I've never done that a day in my life, okay? You this owe me. This is unlike me, for sure. This is unlike you. Also, a, somebody, somebody also finds you, too, 10000 for being late. 100%. Rubles. And <laughs> rubles? In rubles. In rubles. In rubles. Yeah. What is wrong with you, man? I gave them a preference, man, on how we're going to do this show. We're probably going to laugh. We're probably going to talk some the football. Laugh the, the, laugh laughers. Laughers. the laughers. The laughers. <laughs> exactly. You remember when Coach T had to tell us we couldn't be around each other in the offseason? Yeah. Just because we laugh so much? So much, bro. Not, I, laughs kept, kept us alive. How how do we get to that point? If I can ask you, because you you'll think about it different than I did. The laughers, the goons. Like, how are we goons when we were laughing so much? I mean, I have a self serving theory that is. Uh, can you do me a favor? Can you turn your phone the other way? The other way, like this? No. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So my my theory is that Coach Munchak used to put little notes. In the in in other place in the little cubicles that we have to go through all the time, yeah. And he would always attack me, and then it was so funny that it was always constantly laughing at me all the time, because I would take it, and because and because you said that I liked it, and so that's, <laughs> that's how we became the laughers. As I just burst out laughing, yeah. my brother Ron, you remember him, man? He's like, now nah, yeah. that's an entrance right there, man. He's looking right, too, man. Bro. Appreciate it, appreciate it, man. Yeah, uh, you're right. Was I the instigator then? Yeah, you were. You were. You were instigator. I mean, obviously, Pouncey was out of control. Uh, Gil was the, the the loudest laugh, and and then when Finney came in, he relieved the duties of being the the abused, and so then then we we split we split the abuse between Finney and I. Finney. No doubt. I have this this Christmas picture and video that that shows up when Gil bought you that big bag of gifts. I don't know why that video keeps showing up in my memories. That is the funniest video I think that defines the entire our, our entire tenure together. That those those Christmas that we would have, where I knew for a fact that I was getting I was getting the same gift every single year. We can't we can't say that on air, but either way, I'll. I appreciate you coming in, man, and doing this show. I told them also, why? Why did you try to charge me $50,000 for this interview? No, 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 no. Because I remember you used to say, you used to define your friends. And you used to say, you're you're a 50, you're my guy guy. And I said, well, what is a guy guy? What is the difference between a guy and a guy guy? And you say, you're 50, you're, 50, you're my 50, I'll loan you 50K. You know, I'm giving you up to 50K and there's no questions asked. And that was a guy guy. I don't know what guy was. And then I said, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your guy guy, 50K plus. You know yeah, I mean? okay. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. We talked a lot of crap, okay? That's what I'm going to say, too. But you are my guy guy, though, man. I appreciate you coming on. If you did need it, which I know you don't, you got it, okay? Nice, nice. Appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. I do. Uh, let's get into it, man, if you want to, Al. Uh, what are you doing these days? Let's start there. 
so right now I got into farming. I got in, uh, I moved to Miami, Florida. We used to have uh, those secret handshakes when we were playing, and and we had this this ideal that we were all going to live in in Jupiter. Uh, <laughs> and then yeah, obviously you you started you know showing your loyalties towards uh, towards Tennessee. But we all we all thought that we we're going to move to South Florida, and so I moved down here. You know, I I actually went to the University of Miami for a day. I went I went to class for a day, and then I quit that same day. The first time I ever quit anything in my life, and and then I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I started looking, started searching, talking to a lot of neighbors, and maybe because of my Spanish background, and the Spanish world comes from a more agricultural background is not as developed as the industrial northern european countries uh so i grew up in a farm when i was a kid and then the fact that i saw an article many years ago of a lot of nfl players and coaches who bought farms back in the day in napa when it was dirt cheap and then obviously years later it became an incredible investment so based on the geography here in South Florida, based on the culture and based on, on, on my personal experience growing up in farms and, and, and being extremely interested in tropical fruits, then, you know, I started farming uh, probably about a year ago. And so nice. it's been an incredible journey. Yeah, no doubt, man. Let's uh, let's go back a little bit too, man, if you want to your yeah. background. You say your Spanish background out. Yeah. You were born in Mississippi, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot I'm from Mississippi. <laughs> my bad, my bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born in Mississippi. My father was learning how to fly um, uh, Harriers and F-18s. They're both yeah. uh, McDonnell Douglas made uh, jet crafts. And part of the course, it started in San Antonio where they taught my dad how to speak a little bit of English. And then you move to Meridian, Mississippi, where you learn how to fly a basic plane. And then you finish your course in Pensacola, where they go, you do uh, a jet training. So I was almost bo- I was almost a Florida boy, but I <laughs> but I became you know a member of the Dirty South. And so I, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm from Mississippi. I've never been to I've never been to, to, to Mississippi other than when I was born. But uh, but yeah, that's where that's that's where I'm from. Oh, really, I didn't I didn't realize that. And uh, of course, we we've gone through it personally. But to just preface this uh, crowd that's watching us out. Um, and from there, you've you lived overseas in different countries too. Your dad, like you said, is in the service too. So you guys moved and traveled a lot. A lot. What, yeah, what yeah. other countries were you in in your up upbringing? So I was born in uh, Mississippi. Then I went to Pensacola. Then I went to Rhode Naval Station, where I, I spent most of my life. I guess I guess I claim it as my hometown in uh, in Rhode, two miles away from Africa. So you know, I woke up in the morning and I saw Africa every single day of my life. It's funny oh, wow. when I tell people because they always go, oh, you know, but, but it's true. I mean, it's, Europe and where I'm from is extremely close. And then I went up to uh, northern Spain for three years in Saragossa. Then I went to Newport, Rhode Island for six months. I was in the World Trade Center a month before they came down. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went, when I went back to Rhoda, then I started noticing how the United States shifted into a war sort of uh, mindset. And then uh, I went to the Canary Islands mm-hmm. for a year. And then finally, I went to high school in Belgium. And then from Belgium, I went to an American high school. And I played all the, you know, my, my high school experience was, was was the most incredible experience, I think, that, that, that any kid could ever had. Why? And, Why is that? In Germany? No, it was, well, Belgium, which is Belgium, a, yeah. a, a very small country, very close to, to, to Germany. But um, the United States after World War II had 
almost over half a million uh, U.S. citizens, I mean, U.S. soldiers and, fa and their families stationed on West Germany. And obviously because of the Cold War and the, and the, uh, uh, and the, and the, and the wall, uh, there was a lot of tension, the Cold War. So the United States amassed a lot of troops on West Germany. West Germany developed incredibly well. And when it finally came down in the 90s, uh, the, the, the United States left their troops in their strategic um, uh, assets or, or, you know, as part of our, our foreign, po foreign policy. And so when I went to high school, I was with a bunch of NATO kids. So all the kids in my class were from all the different countries, but Americans were the majority. Yeah. So I went to an American high school and I had that experience of going to homecoming, listen to Usher, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, all, all the cultural things that were happening in the, in, in the two thousands in the United States, I was exposed to them. And then uh, one of my, one of my best friends said, well, I, I, the, first, the first kid that I met at school, he said, man, we got, we barely got enough kids to, 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 to form a football team. Uh, why don't you join the, the, the football team? And, and, and I was playing rugby, you know, in Europe. And so I always looked down on American football because I thought that, that, that it was too soft. Did you, know, you was, from rugby? I thought it was too soft. And I thought that the ego of the football player was very individualistic. Whereas rugby Now player, look at you. Right now, yeah. <laughs> Screw rugby. Rugby's the worst. You know what I mean? Give me, give me <laughs> touchdown celebrations all day <laughs> in controversial post-game, uh, 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 you know, press conferences. Uh, but I, I started playing football, and then to play football, we would get on a bus on Friday, and we would travel around all the bases around Europe, and then we would play all the other bases with all the other uh, the sons the sons of, of of the service members that were stationed all throughout Germany. So it was incredible. It was amazing that I got to travel and I got to see Europe. I'd never seen Europe until yeah. until that time. But I but I did it through the American lens of uh, of the US military. And then once I met my teachers, I played a little, a little bit of football. They started putting this idea in my head that I didn't have to have good grades. I didn't have to do anything. I just had to be big and tall. And then they would pay for my education. I did not know how the both of them correlated with each other. I did not know how being really big and strong will, 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 will help you in your education. But uh, but I but I through that you know I I, I guess I, I I started getting really uh, motivated to to come to the United States and so that's when I decided to go to the uh, to the United States Military Academy. So that's what I was going to ask you then. So why army? Like, uh, I, and I asked you that, and I know the answer. It's a family thing. Your, your dad no, no, is no, no, no. Your dad, what? Yeah, my dad's in the Navy. No, I wanted to go in the Navy. I mean, I've said this a thousand times. I've said this a bazillion times. I I've think and I never listened to you, Al. I know, I know. So, <laughs> Top Gun, saw it, said, say less, I'm going to be an F-18 pilot, it's over, I'm going to become Tom Cruise, a little bit taller, slightly larger pecs, I'm going to <laughs> the Navy, I'm going to win all the wars with Goose in the back. Uh, but then when I, when I turned, you know, 17, I was, I was 6'10". And so when did you, hold up. When, when did this growth happen though, too? It, it, it happened when I was 14. So I stopped growing. When I was 14 years old. 14 You've years been old. 6'9", six, 6'10", six, so you were 14. Yeah. I, I thought I was going to be seven six seven seventy. I thought, I thought I, 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 I was very afraid of, 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 of being too tall. Um, so I, um, I, I, I never liked being this tall because I, when I was 14, I was, I was just too, too big. I was just yeah. Too you stood out too much. I stood out way too much. So uh, I wanted to be in the Navy. I always thought that, I mean, the Navy has much better posts. It has a much easier and familiar lifestyle. Uh, it's always close to the ocean. I love the ocean. I love the sea. And I always thought, and I still believe that, you know, for the United States and for our mission, 
we want to have the strongest navy. The navy is 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 the most important uh, component of 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 a of a global empire. Yeah. If you call it American empire, huge debate. I don't think it is, but I th- I, but but it's but it's very important to control the oceans and and, and the waterways. And so I'll, I wanted to become a, a naval officer, but I had to, those two handicaps: one that I was extremely tall, and then two that when I did my physical to go to the naval academy in Germany, they told me that I was colorblind and that I couldn't see red oh, and yeah. white and green uh, to the standards of the Navy. And so all my dreams were crushed. And then one of my best idiot. friends, uh, idiot, big time. No, no, no. I know. I want to be a Marine too, which is the, the, the least, you know, in terms of requirements for of, 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 of IQ, you know, you <laughs> got the Marines and that's what I wanted to be. But, uh, but I couldn't, be but you also say they're movie stars too. No, no, the Marines, I, I like the Marines. The Marines are you not like movie stars. Okay. Okay. It's the other Naval, it's the other naval uh, uh, forces and the other naval troops that, that that do have podcasts, books, movies. You know, b- b- before they leave the military. Okay, but, okay, I got you. But my Marines, I mean, I, I, you know, if if you give me a chance right now to be a Marine and go to Fallujah, you know, what I mean, like I, I, I wouldn't hesitate. Marines to me are were were, were exactly who I wanted to be. But uh, I couldn't be a Marine. I couldn't I couldn't distinguish between a red buoy and a and, and a green buoy, which are critical to become a Marine and and, and conduct amphibious operations. And so I went to the military academy because a lot of my friends were in the, their parents were in the army and, and they were going to the military academy. And then I fell in love with, with the army. The army was unknown to me. I had never been to an army base. I had not known a lot of army soldiers. All the soldiers that I met in Rota were Marines and, and, and Naval and Air Force. But the army has a component that is people. So in the army, you have to know people. You yeah. have to be very intimate with your soldiers. You have to be extremely aware of where they're from. You have to be able to motivate them. You're, you're with them. You're, 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 you're equal to, to, to your men. Yeah. You just have a different title, but you're, you're exactly the same as, as, your, um, uh, as your soldiers. Whereas in the Navy, for example, the, the, the officers eat at a different place than the, than the, than the enlisted. And I, and I, yeah, I, I even talk, tell, you know, I, I talk a lot of crap to my dad all the time. I say like that, you know, if you talk about leadership, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're eating in your nice little regal, room with your silver spoons and, and your you know pictures in the back you know and so uh the army was a lot more of my personality i thought and and then i went to west point and west point changed my life west point is the most you brag important. about west point man so yeah. much so that the army navy game we have to go to together yeah. okay you yeah. bragged about that my brother ron his show goes to it every year okay yeah. And he's bragged about it. And you talk about how beautiful the campus is. And- it's, the most beautiful, it's the most beautiful. I mean, listen, all the architecture and all the places in the United States are ugly. Ugly. Yeah. There's nothing. There's not a city in the United States. Maybe Savannah. Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. Savannah is the only city. Yeah, in the United l- listen to how you say Savannah, Georgia, too. Like, come on, Savannah, man. Savannah, Georgia. Savannah is the only city in the United States that is worth going. Other than that, all the cities in the United States look exactly the same. It's a drag with a... Target, TJ Maxx, McDonald's, hey, hey. all the same. Terrible. But you, had, but, you, you hadn't been to Ripley, Tennessee, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I don't like cities. But you chose Miami. Stop. Miami is actually the only city that is actually semi-pretty, you know, in terms of the, the, the buildings, on the water and whatnot, <sighs> only one. But see, see this right. is what this is what Al does. See, you do this, and this is why Munch went at you, and this is why we went at you so much too. Because you have these narratives that you know aren't true, and what are not true. true. 
Oh my God. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to get Italian in here. You can't compare Florence. You can't compare Milan. You can't compare Rome, Paris, London, Madrid, Barcelona. You can't compare those with Chicago or New York City with oh giant rats taking pizzas off the subway. There's no way. There's not the way. It's not okay. the same, Ramon. It's not okay. the same. Okay, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you, Al. <laughs> yeah. But West Point, West, Point, is, West Point is one of those places. I, I, I think the West Point is by far the most beautiful place in the United States. And the history being uh, George Washington's headquarters during the Revolutionary War, uh, the, the, the graduates, the narrative. I mean, it, it really embodies a, a part of the American personality that is extremely attractive to me. It's the quiet professional, which unfortunately... I have not had the pleasure of being that quiet professional. Uh, it does have uh, an incredible work ethic and values. And so for me, West Point was, you know, I'm, I'm not so much proud of, of being a West Point grad as much as I am very thankful to have gone to, to West Point. Okay. That makes sense. I get that. If, if yeah. you guys get the back and forth now, you see why we got tight. You also see why Al was always the butt of the conversation too. I told him before we came on, on Thursdays on Ports Talk, we, we everybody had their time. No, it wasn't forced, but you had to hold court, and nobody held court longer than you or more than you either, Al. I I've, I have enjoyed I, one of the things that, I, that that you enjoy the most about both the military and the NFL is the diversity of where people come from yeah. and how men bond by completely uh, humiliating each other, and so. Uh, when you hold court, then you prevent others from, from, you know, from, from, from changing the narratives on you. Yeah, the narratives on you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You talk the whole time. Nobody else is going to, is going to say anything negative. No doubt. Um, but the, the, when did, when did football get serious with you? Cause I know the story and you've told it before. Um, you ended up going into the NFL. You were trying out with Sensi as a tight end. You had to go do some tours. You did a tour or uh, some tours, right? You come back and you sign with Philly as a D lineman. Who who did you sack and who did you get that sack off of in Philly too? Yeah, I, so but- I went. I, I, it was Ryan Mallet. It was Ryan <laughs> Mallet. Rest in peace. Uh, oh man, yeah. I uh, I sacked. I got to the quarterback before Brandon Graham, and I said, "I'm locked in. I'm in the 53, baby." You know what I mean? Brandon Graham couldn't get there, and I got there. There's no way, and I and I sacked him. I mean, I. I, I, I think I got a, a horse collar, just just dunked them, celebrate, pointed at the stands to my wife. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was a great moment. I said, man, I got a sack in preseason. You know what I mean? But I didn't realize that it was in the last like ten plays. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It was the third <laughs> cleanup duty against a yeah. dude that was probably way worse than you. <laughs> no, I guess he went to Florida. He went to Florida because because I remember telling Pouncey who I got the sack on. And he said, "Oh, he's a Gator. He's a Gator." And I was like, "Okay, okay. Maybe, 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 maybe that deserves a little bit of of credit." But <laughs> no, no. I I started taking football seriously the moment Beecham went down. The moment Beecham went down, I was like, "Oh, whoa, whoa! This is this is live. This is live, boys. This is live bullets now. This is live bullets now. Yeah, this is this is a lot more because I was going to Carnegie Mellon I, when I was in practice squad. I was I was I was. We got on to you about that too. And that, that's one of those things where you were trying to better yourself in education. We trashed you for going to class. Trash, trash, trash. But I mean, I, I didn't. I, I never thought I was going to make it to the NFL. I you mean, did. I was, so let me let me take you back before you go any further. I remember preseason. Um, did we just play Philly or something? All I remember was this. And let me know if I'm off. Yeah. Um, we're out there in the practice on practice field. This is post. Um, this is post. 
preseason games. So we done the four games. You had got released. And I think I remember watching Kev. Was it Kevin Colbert walking you out on the practice field? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think it was Kev. Maybe, maybe. I remember I walked on the practice. I was a little late because I had to do all the improv. Yes. And the first thing I did was one-on-ones against Tuit, right tackle, and he whiffed. And I whiffed both times. And I said, yeah, it was my first time playing tackle in forever. I, I, I was a triple option guy. I was like, I got a three-point stand. I got a so, two-point stand. What the hell are you doing? I got a two-point From point. wide receiver to tight end to D-line to tackle. I remember walk, watching you walk out to the practice field. And I'm thinking to myself, who the hell is that dude? And you're yeah. tall as hell. I'm like, what are we going to do with him? Little yeah. did I know we was going to play years next to each other. Like right, you said, right, right. yeah, crazy, man. So your introduction to Pittsburgh was was what, though? My introduction to Pittsburgh was, was I, got cut, beat by I, I got cut from Philly and then I'm in, I'm, I'm at the public library in my, my in-laws house, uh, learning how to do a resume. My resume is like two lines. It's like army, <laughs> you know, I'm a major, like, I don't know. I don't want what can I explain to you know, anybody? I don't know what I'm going to be working on. I was contacting headhunters to see if I could, you know, get a medical sales job or something. And coach Tomlin called me and you know how coach Tomlin calls you on the phone you feel like you're talking to the most like hypersonic, you know, yeah. charismatic human being in the world. He's like, hey, he you captivates out? you. He captivates you with a phone call. And he said, hey, we want to bring you out here for a workout. And so I went to Philly. I went to Pittsburgh, uh, drove by myself. I did a workout. I, I worked out with, with, with John Mitchell. I did, I did a D-line workout. And he looked at Coach Tommy and said, like, yeah, he too, he's, he's too slow. He's not going to be able to get off the ball fast. <laughs> And then they passed me, and then they passed me to, to Munchak, and Munchak started doing all these drills, all these munch, the, the individual munch drills, you know. And he said, and it was kind of like, yeah, I'll take them. You know what I mean? Kind of like, yeah. you guys, guys going to throw them away? I'll take them. You know. So what's what's fascinating about Munch? Munch is very Munch is very interested in the service. That's do you, do you yeah. think that played a part in it too? As far as like, if yeah. he was a soldier, I can train him. Yes, for sure. I think that the baby boomers uh, all had a, you know, they, they, a lot of them miss. I mean, this is this is my theory. So a lot of them miss Vietnam by a few years. So Munchak miss miss Vietnam by 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 the draft, you know. In Pennsylvania, yeah. I never. I, I I watched the movie because he told me to watch it. He said, "Watch the movie, The Deer Hunter," and I was yeah. like, "Oh, I'll watch it." And so The Deer Hunter was a, a very good representation of what Pennsylvania was like. In the, in the in the during the Vietnam era, where you either went to the mills and you worked in the South Side, working on Carson Street, in these giant mills, or you went to Vietnam, you know. Yeah. And so, the Vietnam War was not very popular, rightfully so. Uh, imagine a Vietnam right now in 2023; oh, it, would, it, would, it would be a, a disaster. But for a lot of for a lot of people, it, it was it was the 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 the, the, the sense of duty of. of serving for for your country just like it is just i guess just like it is now and so the service became very entangled with football and a lot of coaches just love the military so the, the only reason why i got to with philly is because chip kelly loved the military as well wow and munchak wanted to be a soldier and, and, and that, that's the one thing that he wanted to do and so i think there was always a little bit of admiration from from the coaches who committed their life to uh, Diet Pepsi and Copenhagen and, and thousands of hours of meeting going over the same protection for the rest of their lives and, and a life that they could have had had they gone to the, to the service. Yeah, that makes sense, man. Uh, and, and you're right. When Beach got hurt, like it got serious for you. What, yeah. I, I, I wasn't an asshole, was I? 
I wasn't I wasn't that bad, was I? Uh, I think you have to be bad because you want to make sure that you know. I don't. I don't, for example, I was thinking about this on my on my way on my way here. One of the funniest things between you and I, one of the things that we were able to navigate in our friendship, was tripping each other. How do you not trip each? Because you know how bad, yeah. how bad it looks when you're doing an amazing set and you got him. Yeah. Right. You just all of a sudden you're on your back. Yeah. It looks ugly. It looks. U- Hopefully he falls on you. But yeah. if he falls on you, you drag him with you to hold. It's a and holding it's, call. And if he sacks the quarterback, it's going to be a reel over and over again. And, and you never live it down forever. So. As an offensive lineman, the tackle guard have to make sure that they don't trip each other. And for us, I remember that the first game, so it was a half game against Arizona, Dwight Freeney, no big deal. But then the second game, it was against Kansas City, and they like to do a lot of twists. Sure did. And so, And you and I got beat on a couple of twists on the backside of five-man protection, good old 53 protection. Oh, no, 53! <laughs> They're sliding and leaving us. Yeah. Right. And so we had to get, you and I had to work together about finding our depth and finding our sets in order not to trip each other. And that's when I started becoming very close to you and just doing the vertical set in order to avoid uh, tripping each other and, and, and being able to, 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 to pass off the twist, which was the biggest thing that I didn't want to wow. let you down. I didn't want, I didn't want the, the, the five technique to spear you. And I did not want you to have to, take a huge step to the left to pass me the defensive tackle because then you would step on me and then I would fall. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'll never forget months breaking it down to us in meetings and stuff and just over and over. Then we'll go from there to the practice field and he'll, oh my God, I loved and hated it because he did little things. Like you said, that army stuff. Yeah. The the last push, you know, the the extra rep and all those. The the, um, Yes. but but that's how he made us play though too, and I I think it's just super unique of all the dudes I played with on that side. Uh, whether it was somebody older than me, whether it was Beecham, um, whether me and Gill on the right side and stuff like that. Ours was the most unique because we were big as heck. I'm talking about yeah. height wise, size wise, like you couldn't leg miss. Wise. It. Yeah, right, leg right. wise, like all of that was was huge, and having to get used to you and your movements, and honestly, learning you were still learning a lot. Oh but one God, thing yeah. I, I, mean, I asked you the snap count. You remember that? That that was crazy. How every single time that it, it's it's almost insane. I wouldn't even listen to the huddle. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna double check with Ramon. And then it became it became uh, I became used to it. Yeah. I became used to it where I, I you know I would listen to the play one time, but I was like, I'm gonna verify with Ramon on the way to the line of scrimmage. And then we would say like 35. And then we would, then you and I would say like 30,000 times. Hey, Monday, Monday, Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday. Yeah, Monday, Monday, Monday. Yeah, so we would be on the same page. And then then as we progressed and as we started playing with each other, then we started giving all the fake calls like crazy. You know what I mean? Oh, then, we got, then, we got, then we got savvy. Then we became savvy vets. And then we started having fun together for sure. We really did, man. But it, it it was dope to actually kind of watch you grow up, though. And me too, because we both were still growing in the same point. When Munch came in yeah. for all of us, right. I think it was it was crucial. Uh, Pounce benefited. You did. Dave did. Gil did. Everybody that listened benefited from it. And think about all the dudes that was in that room that left that room and got paid. Uh, right. Matt Filer, the anchor. Yeah. Uh, him, Hub, 
Okay, Finney uh, ended up going somewhere else. Um, right. Just the, the the dudes that were around that were in it um, benefited from it. And we had a super super dope group, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a lot of different personalities. A lot of yeah. We went to breakfast, to the couches, to meetings, to three hours of laps, to pre to, to the walkthrough with Ben, to yeah. post practice. I mean, we were together twenty four seven. It was amazing. What a, what a, what an incredible era for sure. One thing I try to explain to this uh, to this this fan base, this group that's watching us now, man. Shout out to you guys. Hit that like and subscribe button too while y'all still in yeah, here, okay? Yeah, hit the like and subscribe. <laughs> well, what, why are they playing around, Al? Yeah, hit the like and subscribe. Move on from here. What, what the hell are we it? doing, man? Is uh, People ask the question, how do we get so close? Like, we didn't – this wasn't an overnight thing. It, it happens through reps, as you said. You walk into the line and moan, what is it? Or Al, hey, Monday, 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 Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. It was meetings. The way we we challenge each other a yeah, lot. Oh yeah. If you had a bad, if you had a bad rep, oh my, during individual, there'd be silence in the room, and Munchak will just play over and over again, and then Pouncey will say something so ignorant and demeaning, and and demoralizing, and then you just want Earth to swallow you, and you want it to disappear and die in that second. You say like, I don't want to. Before you play that, that that rep one more time, just make it go away. You know, just 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 disappear from our fleets. But, but see, the thing was though, if it was something that was correctable, he did that. We all had at one point in time one really bad play, and we know it's coming up, and months should go past it. Depends on how de- depends on how established you were. You know, and depends <laughs> on whether you need it or not. Pouncey, he would never show Pouncey. He that wouldn't. Way. He wouldn't even make him do one on one. What's crazy? Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, the one on ones. Pouncey not doing one on ones. That is the biggest. Like, what the hell are we doing here? You know what I mean? Nobody wants to do one on ones. You know who wants to do one on ones on week sixteen of the season on four pads? You know what I mean? Two reps against a young buck. You know who wants to do that? No, Pouncey yeah. and he was always encouraging people. You know, and, when the, defense, and when the defense would win, it would be like, oh, got him in the mixer. I'm like, what are you talking about? You with us, bro? You're supposed to be with us. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy, and we say this all the time, and Pounce admitted it on here. The only reason I'll say it, he used to, Munch used to fuss at me and you for something that Pounce did or that Dave all did. Time. All the time. And, we never, yeah, he never, yeah, he was the golden child. That don't say anything, you know what I mean? He, he, but he, that's he, how he, he operated, it. though, too. He, yeah. 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 I had some crazy stuff right there, man. Uh, in that, though, what, what I was getting to originally was what we had in Pittsburgh, and how we built it, the whole goons mantra that Coach T kind of ran with in public and everybody else took on too. Um, for this young group that they have in Pittsburgh now, if you're watching the game, and I know you do a lot of other stuff besides watch football, um, it takes time is what I've been telling people. When you look at Dan Moore, when you look at Broderick Jones, uh, Isaac Simalo, I think you know him from Philly, if I'm not mistaken. But a line out, either way, it takes time to build up what we had. It does, but I mean, it also takes. I mean, we had an amazing quarterback. You know what I mean? And we and we knew which plays. I mean, we knew which play. I remember Gil would always ask Ben during practice whether a play was going to be like a quick pass or a long pass. And so then we also. I mean, I remember Gil and I would study the the the, the route concepts, and then we st- because we knew that if a quarterback holds the ball or if he's not, if it's a quick throw, then you can become more aggressive. You can jump set your guy. You can, you can, you know, you know that even if you whiff, the ball's going to be out. And then you knew the other protections, like 74, you know, versus a uh, seven-man blitz was going to be a lot more challenging and you have to change your sets. So I think, obviously, Ben 
helped a lot in this. Ben matured a lot, I think, from his previous years getting sacked every other play to, to protecting himself. Yeah. So I think it was it was a collective effort. And then obviously the Steelers mentality was very beneficial to us of trying to keep us together. Uh, it was unfortunate that we weren't able to to achieve more success as a group together. You know, and, you know that, that that is the only unfortunate part because then we would have been celebrating together. You know, for for, for, for eternity. Yeah, but uh, but I thought that, I thought it was a combination. I thought it was a Steeler way. I thought it was Munchak, uh, Coach Tomlin. Uh, it was Ben. It was the running backs who were also incredible. D'Angelo Williams. That was a, that was a laugh or two. He was. That's our uh, guy. Le- you're right, Le'Veon. You know, we we just had amazing. Uh, personnel on offense and when everything is clicking then the offensive line shines so i don't think we should take all the credit either ramon I think no should, absolutely we, we, we had uh todd haley too you know yeah we were stacked you know and we all worked very well together uh the protections were great uh they made a lot of sense i've been you know i was fortunate enough to be part of other systems where they teach protections and and be able to verify that how pragmatic munchak was in being able to uh, distribute the the the, the responsibility yeah. and be able to help the guys who needed it uh, was was instrumental for for the success of the O line. Somebody got a question. It's a good one. I just had it start to out. Uh, there's comments on the side of here. A lot of people saying stuff. They glad to see you. A lot of people saying thank you for your service and everything too, man. Um, but yeah, Axe, when you retired, you said to the something to the fact that you would not miss playing the game. I feel the same way too. Do you still yeah. feel that way, or do you miss it? There, my, my thing is, it's, it's it's impossible for me to play, like to, to conceive, you know, think, playing the game of football right now. I don't my even watch would, it the same. No, my body would. I, I watch the game of football and I'm just like, Ooh. I know, I do the same. Yes, yes. I hear the, I hear the clacking of the helmets and I'm like, oh, yes. I'm, I'm sensitive now. There's no way. <laughs> I'm, I'm 255, you know, my hands are nice and soft. I, you know, it, it, there's, there's no way. Uh, it, you, we we appreciate it while we last while it, while it lasted. In my situation, I was extremely fortunate that I was able to play football because my odds would have been my, you know there's there's no way that someone like me should have been playing football right now, and, or 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 have a career in, in the NFL. And once you retire, and and obviously with age, then then there, I mean I don't think I could play two plays in the NFL right now. So you it's can't not fake like, football. No, no, you can't fake football. You gotta be, you gotta be all in. You gotta be, your muscles gotta be tight. And and I don't even think about the possibility of playing football. You know, this is unique right here too, man, from Kenneth. And I think it's super unique, Al. And just a little bit of explanation. Can you talk about your development? We got Al's development from practice squad to starter and also Pro Bowler. So we got to throw that in there. Did did I know you were gonna be that good? I didn't know what you were gonna be. I'm gonna be honest with you. And probably the same way a lot of people feel about me. Um, and I saw somebody a second ago said. You know, two two fifths of that uh, that offensive line was undrafted. That was me and you, like having to find our way out. Like there it is, right there. Crazy Filer, thing. Filer, Filer F- for a year was undrafted too. There was the three anchor, yeah, the anchor. but yeah. the anchor man. I saw him in Tampa this year, dude. He it he's was so man. good seeing him, man. He's so large. Like when he, you retire and you see an NFL player, you're like, geez, you guys are big. Bro. You, you know who America. did it for me? It wasn't even a big dude. It was Minka. Say me. I saw Minka. I went, neck. I know. I went fishing with Minka, and I was like, "There, Mink." You know what I mean? Like it was crazy <laughs> how big he is. I see him. I see Minka all the time. He comes out here in the uh, in the off season. Yeah, that's what he said. He's down in Miami in the off season. No, man. no, it's crazy. Uh, but I, how I, was I, that I, development? Because you had to gain a lot of weight, and my development was. 
I want to, somebody told me when I was in the army, they love the military so much that they'll, even if they give you one year in the system, you'll make enough money to go to business school and then you can continue on with your life. So my only goal was to go into a business school and, 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 and move on with my life. The transition from being a military veteran, a, mil a military uh, active duty personnel to a veteran is the hardest transition. And you've experienced the transition to go from a football player into a civilian. And you know how difficult and challenging it is. And the military wow. is 30,000 times harder. And so for me, when I was in practice squad, I was way more concerned about uh, being able to go into a, a, a good university. And in this case, it was Carnegie Mellon. And I, and I thought I thought I was going to know you guys and then you guys will be playing football and I'll be at school. And then maybe, you know, every now and then I'll be able to say hi to you if, if I ever saw you on the shady side or whatnot. But I never thought I was going to be playing football. Now, the good thing is that Munchak was an incredible coach. So if, if, you, if you just show up to work and you, and you try to absorb from the, the culture of, 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 you know, you, Pouncey Gill, the, the, the Beecham, who was Beecham was my biggest inspiration. Yeah. Beecham is the player that I have emulated my game you know I, I always thought well you know i want to be like jason peters but when i saw Beecham play i said this dude he is the most uh proficient in the tackle technique he is he prepares the best out of yeah. any professional that i've ever seen he cares the most and i have never and and, and i learned everything for him the high hip double double team move that was Beecham. the trap move when somebody would try to elongate their lungs that was Beecham. The jump set, every single thing that I that, that I learned was from Kevin Beecham. So my development from practice squad standpoint was watching Beecham and saying, man, if Beecham can do it, I should have no excuse whatsoever to be able to play in the National Football League, hopefully for another team. So because to your Beecham point, he was undersized. He yes. had long arms, but he had to, to what you he had to do all of those things to oh. where some guys are born with the stuff and it comes right. easier. Right, right, right. But it was only, but it was just that. It was just his preparation. Like the way he yeah. would watch film, he was biting his nails the entire time watching film. You know, he created a level of anxiety to himself in order to play. A, a, you know, he, he, he had a, a lot less room for error than larger human beings yeah. that were playing at the same position. And so I started picking up everything for him, from psyching myself up with a pass rusher to being able to rank guys and, and develop strategies Beecham was the, the the guy that allowed that 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 the whole transition possible, and you know because I had not just Beecham, but I also have Mike Adams in front of me. I always yeah. I always thought that it was going to be impossible for me to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I never I never I never saw it as a viable option. And and a stabbing and an injury later, and you're right in there. Right, right, right. It was crazy. I mean, the odds are very, very slim, and and so that's why I never, I never, I never, I never prepare myself mentally to have a career in the NFL that would be, you know, just, just based on football. I always thought that football was going to be complimentary, just like my education uh, at West Point or university football would compliment me uh, and, and, and be able to help me, um, you know, move on with life. Uh, Danny asks, can you talk about playing against the Steelers and being a Raven real quick? What was, because I, I, I know, I know they trash talked you so bad. I know somebody who, who said something, anybody, CJ no, said nothing. Okay. Who is TJ gonna say it during the game? First of all, he plays on the other side. You know what I mean? You wanna you wanna come with the real boys? Come out here to the left side. You, know? that's, that's you the, gonna that's, tell them that? No, 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 no. I don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? I'm messing side. with you. That's, yeah. I never went. So I, I I had to go against Alex Highsmith, who I who's the nicest, kindest, most amazing 
human being on the planet, he's not gonna talk smack. Chris Wormley was a Raven. He's not. And then, well, Cam, I'll tell him. You know what I mean? Like, what was this Cam gonna say? Cam is the nicest guy. You know, he's not gonna say anything. And then the other one was Devin Bush. Devin Bush is the man. You know, like we, yeah. you know, there was the. You can say a lot, but you can't hate. What are you gonna do? You, you, are you are you willing to engage in a in a uh, in a conversation with me? Are you, are you willing to, to get into into my area of dominion? You know, are, are you willing? Are you willing to to battle me with words? Oh no, that, that's you're good word. at it. Yeah, yeah you speak Spanish on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the feeling was very surreal. It was very weird. Obviously, going to Pittsburgh, I really wanted to win so bad. Uh, but there is something. There's something, and I, and I noticed the insecurity in the Ravens facility when it was time to play the Steelers. And it was very similar to when the Patriots players would come to us and they would say, bro, we can beat them. You know what I mean? We can beat the Patriots. They're not all that. But for the Ravens, the Steelers have their number. You know, Coach Tomlin knows how to play a defense. The rattles Lamar. He's blitzing nonstop. The coaches for, for Steeler Week, they, they they act different. That transmits to the players. I was trying to tell them, no, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's discipline, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get them, you know. But, but it was impossible. The, the, the Steelers know exactly how to play the 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 Ravens. And so, yeah, we lost both. I mean, they lost this year, you know, twice again. You yeah, know, twice so, again. Right. That's that's fascinating you say that. I always kind of say that to folks, too, is there, there were uh, – that, that week is special right there. And in, in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh versus Baltimore, we could go on on about that one. Uh, what nah, were you about it's to not say? Special, it's not. I to me, it was. See, so you went to both sides. To me, it was. No, no you didn't think games. it was in Pittsburgh those to night games. Only, to me, that no, because 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 I, I, I matched up very well against Terrell Suggs, and so for me, the game was not okay. Uh, that's different. Was not as difficult when they when they had who's the guy that went to Green Bay? And, uh, uh, Zadari Smith. Zadarius, when he was coming up, he was he was he was a challenge. But fortunately for me, he was only there for three years. Uh, <laughs> but no, we all, we always matched we always matched up well against Baltimore. Maybe on the other side of the ball, they ran the ball more, la la la, whatever. But for us, for us, it, it, you know, it, it, for me specifically, that was not as challenging as it was for the interior. The interior had to go against heavy legs, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's different me, on for, the inside. For, for, for me, for me, what I remember was Cincinnati. Cincinnati was the rivalry where I got I would get the jitters and I would get I would get I would get the you know I would get like the full body adrenaline shots when we had to play that that defensive line of of uh Gilberry, uh Mike, Michael Johnson, Gino, John Lab. Yeah, With all the everybody. linebackers too. Yeah, the linebackers were very good. Uh they just had a very, very good defense. Four three is a lot harder, you know what I mean? Because they just keep coming, coming. Uh, I thought Philly was a very tough defense too, but I never thought that the the, the Baltimore game was going to be very. I mean, I knew my whole in laws were going to be in the stands. You know, Maryland is is a state that I've spent a lot of time in, so I feel you know almost at home in Maryland. And, and it was never it was never that weird to me. It was weird that it was a right created into a rivalry. I was like, why? What was this a rivalry? You know what I mean? What, 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 you know, this, this, but both teams are exactly the same. What what turned um, what turned Cincinnati into what it was in your opinion? Us and since and that what was that about three four years, yeah. So I thought it was the the defensive coordinator who coached in in, in Minnesota. Um, forgot his so name. Look that up uh, for you. I'll uh, find his uh, name here. Yeah, what's I'm I, I, I'm you know I'm horrible with names, but uh, Zimmer Zimmer Zimmer. Yeah, Zimmer had the 
4-3 double barrel. Double barrel. The double barrel was something that created a lot of stress and angst to Munchak. And it was a defense that was extremely difficult to stop for me because as a tackle, you had to have your eyes on the A-gap yep. to see if the linebacker was going to blitz. And if he blitz, you have to get the three technique. Yep. So that was very uncomfortable. because And we had to communicate a lot in those games. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then they had uh, Andy Dalton, who is a, a very, very good quarterback, underrated quarterback. Uh, A.J. Green. A.J. Green, he just like you, man. It was, <laughs> it was amazing, amazing. They had uh, Eifert. So they were stacked. They, they had an amazing, um, amazing team. And they Giovanni. Were all, I mean, Giovanni Bernard. Yeah, they just. For for me, the 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 the, the tough game was going to be. Since I mean, I, I I hate it was cleaner looks to play a four uh, three defense, yeah. but it was way more physical and it was a lot more challenging because they built their team around their defense. And I and I always remember the 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 the, the Cincinnati game as being the the most challenging game that we played. I remember, uh, of course, <laughs> Shazier's situation. AB right. getting knocked out. Like it was, it was a few yeah. times we were on that field and we was like, "What the heck is going on?" Right, I, right, right, right. I always felt with Baltimore, we were a lot, we were boys. You know what I mean? Yeah, we were like, we were way cooler with Baltimore. See, we that's always, because you, you and Suggs laughed and had a good time on the outside. And yeah, I got to give it sure. to him. Pearson was cool up the middle. Yeah, um, they they weren't. It was more CJ yeah, CJ. Cool. It wasn't like Cincinnati. It was respect. No, Cincinnati, it was, respect. Was, Cincinnati was, was, was a lot rougher. I mean, we had a lot of respect with the uh, with the D-line guys, but everybody else, Pac-Man Jones, you know, Kirkpatrick, you know, there was that, that was a different that, that was a lot more um that was a lot more 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 animosity in, in it. But but Baltimore, I mean, we were always talking on the side, you know, in between, you know, yeah. with, with Humphreys, you know, and all these little laughers too. And and they have a very, very similar culture and they build almost the same way as the as the Steelers. So uh I, I found I found it to be an incredible organization and an amazing uh at, a part of my journey into in, in the National Football League for sure. Oh, no. Speaking of your journey, too, this one comes up real quick. And that one, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tap tiptoe around to have what we have to the conversation in Chicago. Um, you want to have that one? I got to ask you first. You mind? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you can. I, I just, I just, uh, the, the way it happened wasn't how you planned it to happen or the team. No, no, right. I, you know, I, and some for some reason people don't want to believe that. People think that you right. did it on your own. You got right. plastered as one thing that you right, weren't. Right, you right, were used right. on message boards that you right. wouldn't. Yeah. So I've told it before. Like it didn't go the way the media. Me being on the media side now, you guys always made fun of me about that. So me being on the media side now, I see how narratives can be written. That right. the truth is is cool. But the story is way bigger. So let's go with this story. Right. That's, and I mean, that's why never, you know, there was a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that happened afterwards that would have um, changed my life in terms of, you know, people, opportunities and whatnot. But I never, I, I, I try to tell you, I was like, there was no message there. There was no, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to tell anybody anything. I could care less if people do cartwheels uh, during the national anthem. I'd much rather live in a country that allows you to do whatever you want the one that forces you to do something, you know, to live in a, in a dystopian society where you have to do something in America to me seems surreal, but the confusion did, did create an unwanted and unnecessary because 
I mean, I'm doing this for you. You know, I don't have social media. I don't, I, I, would never claim, I would never claim to know the truth about anything. Matter of fact, the more I learn and the more I mature in my life, the more I realize that I know less. And I'm, and I'm I guess, wise enough to know that and ex experienced enough to have been to many different parts of the world where they view things completely different. I know why America is what it is. And a lot of people try to tell me what America is. And, you know, it's like, how do you know America if you've never lived anywhere else? You know what I mean? How do you know you want to only play for one coach if you've never played for anybody else? You know, yeah. it, to, to me, it's just not a pragmatic answer. And so when it happened, I remember somebody selling me, somebody showing me the, I remember making this comment to, to Munchak. I said, somebody sent me the, you know, it wasn't like a, like a, like an alt-right. Uh, an extremist group. An ex it, it was on a, on a, on a, on a kind of alt-right uh, uh media thing and i said man i'm gonna tell these people that i'm an illegal immigrant so maybe they take me out we're conflicted now what can we do about this that, that's what's so crazy about you your name is alejandro villanueva nobody you speak how many anything. languages nobody knows anything about my life nobody even bought they call me al ali you know that's how they were like you guys don't understand i don't speak i don't speak english you know what i mean like this is my second language i'm pretending to act like an American right now. This is not is is not who I am. I have a very I have a view of America where patriotism is not being nationalistic. It's not being I'm better than you. This is the best. It's more I've always admired American patriotism because of gratitude. Because people are very thankful to be in America. Whether it's the best country in the world or not, it's incredibly debatable. Somebody in France, somebody in Switzerland will tell you, oh, you guys are Americans, oh, you guys have, uh, whatever. But Americans are very thankful to be Americans. And when you're thankful to be American, that's all it takes. You don't have to say, I'm better than everybody else. That's what they do in Germany. That's what they do in Spain. That's what they do in France. That's what they do in England. But this, we're Americans. We're, we're, we're not a nation. We're an idea. And it's this idea that is, up to you to, to, to realize. And so I was always extremely respectful of everyone's opinions on the team regarding a very sensitive situation. And I, I remember I told you, I said, Ramon, regardless of the truths and the facts, because we could debate them and they were very sensitive, the fact that somebody shows up to the facility feeling... Oh! You know, if, if somebody showed up to you the facility... You went out for a second. If you said the fact that somebody showed up to the facility feeling what? Right. You know, during that period of time, the fact that somebody shows up to the facility and they are sad about the circumstances surrounding their own country to me is enough. It's like, dude, you, how can I change your feelings? How can I how can I debate how you feel? This is how you feel. This is who you are. This is your narrative. And I have to respect that 1000 percent. When it came to the national anthem, I also have the unique circumstance that to me, the military in America offered me an incredible way of life. And I will be so thankful for the rest of my life, for this country, for the ability to have uh, uh, been attended to West Point, for the ability to have uh, met so many different troops from so many different places, for the ability to play football and get to know the United States. For some, for, for me, I was, I was very thankful for that. And so uh, as a soldier, I've, I had a completely different point of view as everybody else. And so I wanted to respect everybody's views. I told the team leadership, you know, I told this a thousand times. I, I've realized that there's no, I mean, I, I'm not trying to gain anything out of this. It's like I'm, I'm never going to write a book about this. You, you, know, you actually hated it. 
I hate attention. Attention is the worst. You know, it's just you, you gain nothing out of it. You know, once you get to the top, all you're going to go goes down. You know what I mean? Like, well, what's the point of fame? You know, my life is very simple. I'm with my family, with my bros. I, I have, I don't owe anything to anybody. That is, there's something beautiful about that. I'm not, I don't have to impress anybody. I, you know, I can live my beer, grow. I can do whatever. So when that happened, uh, it, it was a very, it, a lot of people from the organization came out and just say, you know, we should have done this, this, the other, sure, whatever. It, it, could, it could have been, could have, could have, could have been handled out of different hindsight 2020 for sure. Uh, but from my perspective, I tried not to be alone and I tried not to have the cameras in front of me. The fact that the cameras uh, showed up and they were there. They blacked out. They, it was edited. The, 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 the tunnel darkness may highlighted you and put us behind. Yeah, and I was just yeah, like, were, but those are narratives though. Yeah. I, I, I would just never, I would never investigate. I would never, uh, you know, I, I think it's too, there's not, nothing's going to come out of it. Nothing reaching the, 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 the bottom truth of, as to why I was left alone and, you know, I didn't have the captains next to me like they told me they were going to be or uh, why why did certain people didn't come out with me or what? Who cares? It happened. You know, yeah. I, I, I remember forgetting about it the next day or, or no, obviously the next day was a lot more difficult. But, you know, trying try, trying to move on and say, if you if you if you don't pay attention to it, it'll go away. And it went and it went away. You know, and a lot of times if I do people, oh, you're the guy that's to the national anthem. It's like it's like. I, I engage in meaningless conversations throughout my entire life because I'm 6'10". And every single time I'm going to walk into a place, somebody's going to say, how tall are you? Do you play basketball? How can you find clothes? Do you fit in your car? Da, 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 da. So now I just have to add another, you know, sort of meaningless conversation regarding the national anthem, which at the end of the day is, you know, it'd be, be, if you're thankful to, to be an American, uh, that's amazing. That's awesome. If you have other feelings, then, you know, you're more than welcome to be in this country as well, because in this country, we want diversity of opinions. The moment we become monogamous into how we all think and how we all act, then we will not be American. We'll be become a nation. And then at that point, we have no advantages over Eurasia and other countries in the world that can, you know, ship products amongst themselves and they can do things a lot more efficient than this isolated continent away from the rest of the world. Love it, man. Uh, I told him I might ask you one thing. Uh, it, I saw you on a plane one time when we were leaving. Um, and you said the only time you get nervous is when we fly. And then, then you yeah. told us at Porch Talk, why? Your last yeah. mission. Uh, yeah. you, you mind going through that one? On, yeah, on yeah, why you were nervous to fly? Well, I don't like leaving. flying. A lot, of, a lot of people don't like flying, you know. For, for, first of all, you know, you know, I don't even like flying. I don't, I don't like, I don't like getting bloody there. You know, we can go through all my fears in life and my phobias. Uh, I don't like flying. My dad is a pilot, you know, and has always told me, like, But you, you know, jumped out of planes. Yeah, and that's even worse. That's even worse. Jumping out of planes, <laughs> jumping out of planes is the worst, 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 worst thing I've ever, you know, done with full consent. Uh, <laughs> for, for sure, for sure. The worst, the worst, the worst thing that I've ever done in my life is jumping out of airplanes. I hate so the it. same way you can't watch football, you can't think about jumping out of plane no more. Jumping out of I me, mean, I'm gonna say it right now. Jumping out of airplanes is something that the military has because we did it in World War II. There is no way I will bet right now. I don't want to bet, you know, but I, there's no way we're gonna jump into combat again. You know, like if you saw how low these planes fly. If you realize that, you know, total warfare is, is not effective anymore, it's, it's a thing that we do to, it's a gut check. 
you know. It's a gut. It's the eighty second. The eighty second jumps. The Rangers jump. You know, we jump. We're airborne. Oh, and look, look how many people have put comments in there. Airborne, we're airborne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Airborne is it's cool. It's tight. You know, I hate jumping. You know, jumping is is, yeah. is, is, is the word. Uh, so, flying was very stressful because when I was in Afghanistan, my second tour in two thousand thirteen, uh, I was going to go to the gym because we had we had a reverse schedule. So we would wake up at around six o'clock in the afternoon. And then we would go uh, work out, uh, uh, dinner for breakfast, which is amazing. And, and then we would go into the, into the tactical operations center. We'll get briefed to the missions and we whatever. And there was a plane, a 747, that was taken off at Kagar, uh, um, Bagram, Air, uh, Air Force, uh, Air, Bagram uh, Airfield. And I remember seeing a 747 take off at Bagram. And I said, man, that's kind of weird. That there's a yeah. 747. A 747 is is a is, is a decommissioned uh, plane, civilian plane. I'm like I, I wonder what this plane is doing here. And I saw it take off, and it was going very slow, and it paused in the air, and then it crashed right in front of me. And I remember I was I was watching it go down, and I started running like I'm going to save these people. And then I just saw this giant ball of fire, and I said, like, "Well, I guess I'm gonna go to the gym and do legs now. You know, there's, there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing I can do now." And so that was one. And then the next deployment, on my last mission, we went out to a valley in Wardak called Chucky Wardak, and we had to walk in the snow forever, and we had to find the. I guess I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about you know, tactical uh, operation, operation procedures. But basically there was a, there was a building that we had to go investigate because like 15 adult males uh, had gone into it and we went in there. And when we saw it, it was a well, I was like, man, this is a well, this is not a building. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no, there's nothing here. And they, and they, we just came on the radio. No, 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 that's it. That's it. That's it. We're, we're flashing on, going, they're going, ah, there's nothing here. So we stand all night there trying to figure out, we dropped grenades. We did everything, you know, there was, you know, we, it's just a well. And then we were, when we were, when we left the mission, it was like, well, there's nothing we can do here. Uh, we got RPGs throw, uh, uh, fired at us as we were loading the, the Chinooks to get out. Which is the helicopter. The helicopter, right. You, you, have a th- you have billions of them out there at Fort Campbell. You know, they were probably from Fort Campbell as well in Tennessee. And when the, yeah. and when the helicopter took off, then it started going to an evasive maneuver. And so it started shaking and... Yeah, it was one of those things where you 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 see things in slow motion. You think of all the you're like, man, I should have not watched Final Destination one, two, three, four, five, and six. You know, I should have not watched all these videos from from Gore.com and Lively. You know, all these years, I should have never done this. But somehow, somehow we were able to manage. But helicopters, when they when they go into these maneuvers, man, they they they, they feel the up and down and they feel the movement a lot more. Than, uh, than, than a plane. And so every single time you recognize that on a plane, when, when, especially landing in Pittsburgh is a very awkward landing because you have to go uh, west to east most of the time yeah. facing, against the, facing against the eastern winds. The pilot sometimes, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I got the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to show them this maneuver right here. And I was like, no, 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 take it easy. Take it easy. Take it easy. I got all the time in the world to get home. Take it easy. <laughs> but it will get bumpy and it will get it will get very sketched. It will get very sketched, and I would always, you know, forget in a full sweat, you know. And Dave will be laughing at me the whole time, you know. And you know, for, fortunately, nothing has happened. So, but the you know, flying flying is not one of my favorite things for sure. Speaking of Dave, we had a few folks ask the question: Who's a better fisherman, you or him? 
Dave? Yeah, between you and Dave. You you categorize you categorize Dave as a fisherman? <laughs> well, he was fisherman. your fishing buddy. <laughs> yeah, he's a guest. He's a good fishing guest. You know, he's not a fisherman. He's I can't wait to fish. tell him. I can't wait to tell him you crap talking to him, man. No, he's not gonna debate that. David's not gonna debate that. I'm I'm, I'm the greatest fisherman that's ever, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the oh best. We'll see if we best. come down to Miami, man. I'm the best. I'm the best. There's no no uh, one else that can outfish me. I'll Stop it. We'll see. We'll see, man. Uh, one of the things, too, you always said about uh, Afghanistan, too, or overseas when you were touring, you said two things that was super unique to me. And I was like, yeah, right. You said some of the best fruits you ever had came from Afghanistan. And you said some of the best fried chicken you ever had came out of yes. that area. Hands Stop. down. Hands down. Hands Stop. Down. So I actually call my farm Kandahar Farms. So I, my, my farm is called Kandahar Farms, and people, and, and people down here in Miami can't can pronounce the name at all. You know what I mean? Uh, whatsoever. But Kandahar was is one of the oldest cities in in Western. Well, I guess you cannot consider Western civilization, but it's one of the oldest cities in civilization. Uh, it was founded by Alexander the Great. In their language, it was Iskandar, and then it later got translated to Kandahar. And Kandahar is one of the most amazing places that I've ever been to. And everybody knows that. Well. I want to say everybody knows, but if you grow fruit in very dry environments, they usually tend to get very sweet. Okay. And so the the fruit there, the pomegranates, the grapes, uh, apples, anything anything that you that you ate off the ground, which now that I'm a farmer, I'm like, yeah, I know why they were putting bombs everywhere. You know, I got these 70 goons walking through my fields, <laughs> taking all the fruit. You know what I mean? <laughs> what do you think? I want to welcome it with open arms, you know, in my country. We're savage in their fields, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, Kandahar was 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 a. I mean, Kandahar is. You can't travel there, you know. You can't. You're not gonna find Instagram reels or some girl going there with her boyfriend <laughs> dragging him by the hand, you know, going like, "Oh, look at these mountains of the Hindukush." You know, you can't go to Afghanistan. Afghanistan is is is, is an extremely dangerous country, but it oh. is beautiful because it's so rare. And the people there live like you're in the Bible. I mean, they live out of houses made out of mud, extremely conservative beyond anything that you've ever seen. No music, no games, yeah. uh, very rural, very, jeez, uh, I mean, the Afghans are insanely tough, you know. And, 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 and the way that they cook was very rudimentary. And they would, you know, kill a chicken right there that was running on the yard. They will make him in you know, an hour with some rice and some and some incredible <laughs> ingredient. And and a lot of it is, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of Indian food. You know, so if you like Indian food, you can imagine what it's like to eat something that is of that nature uh, in the Pakistan, Afghanistan, Indian region. It is insane, amazing food. Afghanistan has an incredible culture. Obviously, I don't agree with a lot of their practices, but <laughs> um, I'm, I'm more of an Anthony Bourdain who likes to go out there to try their food uh explore a little bit to see how they live their life and then don't make no judgments whatsoever take what you can enjoy it add it to your perspective and experiences in life and then move on and so for me it wasn't fried chicken like they do in the south obviously you know what i mean with you know canola oil and and, and an incredible bread some flour and everything yeah, yeah 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 it wasn't like that but it was very very delicious i remember the the, the chicken and the lamb there in afghanistan were, were incredible no doubt about it man so uh <laughs> I've been telling folks, of course, man, you have somehow taken credit for Mason's reemergence. Mason 100%. Rudolph. 
No. See, 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 this is the this is the thing right here, Al. You always do this. I'm him. You're, no, no, you're not him. Okay, you used to be. Now, now you're just you. Okay, you're not you're not him anymore. Okay, where's Marquise? When you, you see what I'm saying, like you need humbling. Like no, no, <laughs> no, no. Mason Mason was part of the Breakfast Club, which is which is your he was, and he liked to get abused. It's because he liked to get abused. He was he part was of the Brodies. Yeah. yeah, we would crush him. You know what I mean? And then, but I thought my thing was this: when I saw Mason play that game against uh, the Cleveland yeah. Browns, Cleveland Browns. No. Okay. Oh, they, 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 oh, yes. You talking about the one we were in? Yes. And he okay. went through that whole episode. And again, <laughs> there's microphones everywhere. There's Matt Filer, who has never told a lie in his life. Yeah, get to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He went through that episode that was such a challenging, difficult moment in his life. And so, so before you go further, before you hold that moment right there, when, when people ask that question, how Mason got buried, how Mason was put on the back burner and the narrative that he couldn't play football, your point is being made is the same as mine. Stuff transpired from that game that changed yes. the outlook on him. 1,000%. He went through that, and then a year later, the year of COVID, the last game of the season, we're playing the Browns. We played the Browns the week after in the playoffs, and we got smashed. But that, that last game, uh, Coach Tomlin said, yeah, 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 Ben, out. Ramon, out. You know, Dave, out. <laughs> and so I'm like, you kidding me? I'm playing out here this game with who, man? You know? <laughs> But Mason was playing that game. Mason is yeah. starting the game. We did get golden game. tickets. You got the you got the golden ticket. I got a you golden got ticket go- that day. Yeah, you were giving me water <laughs> on the sidelines. Yeah, you got it, bro. You know what I mean? You were show- you were giving me the iPad. What do you want? An iPad? You want a, you want a hoodie? <laughs> you need you need a blanket. <laughs> you need a blanket. Yeah, yeah. So he so when I when I, I remember thinking to myself, man, this gotta be hard. This has to be difficult for anybody to go through this. And then face Miles Garrett at home to go to the playoffs. If the Browns won the game, they will go into the playoffs. And then half the starters for the Steelers are not there. And we almost won that game. And Mason yeah. played an incredible game. Incredible game. You know what I mean? It was just amazing to see him so poised. So, uh, I mean, you just never, you, you, it's very, American football, in my opinion, is made to inspire American culture. And American culture, thrives on people under pressure, like Tom Cruise, you know, when everything's on the line, you know, you say, like, I got your goose, you know what I mean? And you save the day. That is what American football is made for. That's why quarterbacks can only be evaluated when they're playing under pressure. When they're playing under pressure. It is the only pressure. way that you can evaluate a quarterback. If you evaluate a quarterback when you got on the offensive line and you run the ball all day and you never have to be challenged in protections and people are scared of the run game and they're not scared of you in two minutes, you know, then, you know, the quarterback is okay, you know what I mean? Right. But he's not going to be a quarterback that people want to watch. People want to watch Tom Brady on a two-minute drill to win the game. People want to watch Peyton Manning say Omaha, Omaha, change the route, and you know make, make the touchdown. So when 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 I saw Mason Rudolph play that game, I was very inspired. I was very proud of him. And at that moment, I thought he has something that a lot of people don't have, and that is guts. You know, he's got guts. He's he's poised. I remember when he first started. 
the famous words from Coach Munchak that I shall not repeat, you know, this kid's got a accuracy, you know, he's got a amazing <laughs> talent. Yeah, oh my God. But, but he, he, he proved that once he learned the game, uh, his head was, he, he became a complete quarterback. And then, unfortunately for him, you know, situations got, 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 got ugly. They, they, they signed a, a backup quarterback for a large sum of money, and you and I know what happens when you sign somebody for, you know, it's just. You got to play. You got to play, and you got to put him in there. And obviously, they drafted a quarterback as well. And so Mason was completely overlooked by the organization. Uh, I don't think it was intentional. I think it was just. That's what I was going to say. You uh, you can't say it's intentional. It's just how the game goes. It's just it's it's it's, it's standard procedure in the NFL. It and is. so when when Mason will come down during you know think about it like the Breakfast Club is over. You know Mason. There's no more Breakfast Club anymore. The there's no more. Club. Even Zach Banner is gone. You know what I mean. So there's no. He doesn't have a sidekick. You know he's from a different era. He's. He's got to go hang out with TJ and Cam, you know what I mean, like uh, with, the, with, the, with the old guys. Because Mason now has been in the organization for many years. I think the long – no, with uh, Cam, TJ, Mason. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when he would come down, he, he would always – you know, Miami's the mecca for NFL players when they want to spend money and forget about life, you know. And so he would, he would come here like a renegade and we would talk. And I could see that his 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 IQ as a quarterback had developed tremendously because I would try to test him. You know, I would try to I would try to uh, 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 question him on, on 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 themes about offensive line play regarding protections and adjustments and whatnot. And, and, and man, he got it. He knew he knew it all. You know, he was he was he was speaking now at a very high level of of of, of within in the game of football. And so that's when I became a sports psychologist, and that's why I deserve all the credit. That's why, you know, Coach Tomlin owes me a check or something. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to have DK save this clip and play this live for Mason tomorrow because he's coming on. And the fact that you said you saved Mason, I need to see his reaction to this. Yeah, he's going to laugh. Ha, 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 No, oh, that was a good guy. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he'll, say, he'll say whatever. You know what I mean? Obviously, nobody can take credit for anybody's development except for your own person. Nobody, I'm not out yeah. there making, making throws. I'm not out there living the stress that he's had to live. Uh, you know, obviously it is, you know, we also cannot sit here and say, poor Mason, you know, an extremely good-looking quarterback as a backup, you know, freshly clean uniform and Pittsburgh. Don Draper. Bachelor. Yeah, okay. How, how bad was it, Mason? Tell us. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you want to you wanna, you wanna write a letter to Kitchen Gaza right now and tell him how difficult it was for you to be in Pittsburgh as a backup? But, you know, thankfully, he got an opportunity. A lot of people don't even get that opportunity. So when he took the chance, he, he did amazing. Even the last game, he played incredible. And so, unfortunately for him now, he's got to go into, uh, you know, a, a little bit of uh, – Yeah, free agency, which is going to be a little bit stressful for him. But I think you never you never know. That's what you always say in football. That's a, that's a very – that is a very – uh, Ramon Foster uh, football <laughs> nugget. You never know. You know, you, you never know. know. You, you, you never know. You never know. You don't, man. Uh, but but that from so you was there in his first start, if I'm not mistaken. You was out there when Earl Thomas got him. Yeah, that was that was actually a 74 protection. You know. Oh my gosh. That is a 74 protection. I always tell you know it's funny like that protection is hilarious. You know you gotta you got you got five four rooms that have to get this protection right. You got the quarterbacks that gotta get it right. You got the running backs that gotta get it right. You got the line that gotta get it right. And you got the tight ends, I got to get it right. And if you got a 80% chance of getting it right, but you multiply that times four, 
man, it's a less than a 50% chance that you're going to be able to get that protection right. It had a lot of options that didn't need to be there, but when they worked, they were perfect. And when there was leakage, it was bad. Right. And then in this case, Earl Thomas is the only person that cannot blitz on a 74 protection. <laughs> the only person that can't blitz. Everybody else can the mic, the wheel, the fan, everybody can blitz except for him. Except and he blitzed on that play because I think he was maybe because I don't know, he was fine or whatever. But you and I were right there. We saw the we saw the lights yeah. out. You know? Yeah, we did. You remember his yeah, his his hands, his body, and everything. I never remember hell. I'm looking at I'm looking at you like you're supposed to be the army medic. Like help him, man! And I'm standing yeah. over him, yelling to Norwig, "Hey, no, you need to get out here right now." I wanted to go mouth to mouth right away. <laughs> no, you, well, that's for other reasons. <laughs> nah. How funny would have been if he wakes up and I was like, "Hey, Mason, you're alive because I've been mouth to mouth." Oh, you got a concussion. I was I was breathing the whole time. I was like, I know, hey, you know. <laughs> bro, go no, what up, man. Do. There's nothing you can do. You know, he's, he's, he's knocked out, cold wig, you know, put some salts on him, you know, sniff him off, you know, go back to life and then, you know, go ahead. <laughs> what, what, what's fascinating about that, though, is, man, we're, we're an hour and a half in, but you owe me like 23 minutes. Anyway. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. I don't want to go uh, back in with my kids. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I can't wait to tell Maddie. Yeah, we're going to go, go do homework right now, the ABCs. No, bro. It's a six hour podcast. We're going live all day. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it live. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let me put some cracking beers right now. <laughs> all right. So, but what was different though now from that moment? Like, God, dude, what is wrong with you, man? I, I, I thought we said we were growing up. We're, are we not going to grow up or what? It's, 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 I'm 35. It's 35 old. I guess it's old. I guess. No, nah, we're never growing up. Screw that. We're yeah. not growing up, man. Uh, but Mason seems more settled now. Like he he's got yeah. a sense of calm about his play. Like, and not that I don't want you to, to parse one against the other here, but like watching Kenny being a young quarterback, quick to run out of the pocket. I want you to explain why that's bad for O line, but also why Mason staying in the pocket allows for allows for the offense to develop the same way Ben did with us unless it was totally necessary. Yeah, so I'll ask you a disclaimer first. I don't know I don't know the, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh still. I don't watch football. So when Mason is playing, I do, watch. I do watch. Well, no, 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 I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't watch football at all. My son watches the Dolphins all day. You know, he's obsessed <laughs> with Tyreek Hill the whole time. You know what I mean? Ah, this and that and that. But I don't, I don't, I don't watch football. But just speak on the quarterback leaving the pocket real quick then if you hadn't right, watched. Right, right, right. So based on that, if a quarterback, I, I, I experienced that with Lamar, you know, Ben was a statue. Ben thought, why even go through the, you know, eight steps to going to six? He just got the ball at six, planted both his feet, and then he threw the ball. And the pocket, when he stays at six feet for a tackle, is a lot easier because you can protect inside out. So when you protect inside out, the tackle feels a lot more comfortable because if he does the loop, then you just push him by and there's no issue. But when you push him by and – you're like, oh, my God, awesome. And then you get to 10 yards, and the quarterback is there because he's getting skittish and he's slammed back. Then you start giving up a lot of sacks. Yep. And when you start giving up a lot of sacks as a, quarter, as, as a tackle, you start doubting where the quarterback is going to be in the pocket. And that, could, that creates a lot of angst for the guard, for the tackle, for twists. Because if, if you, let's say that you step to 10 yards and you start feeling the pressure on the left and you start riding, then it becomes a habit. For a left tackle, the easiest thing is to stay at six yard. And if you got a badass dude on the left, you go towards the left and you and yep. you play with that guy because we all know what happens on the right side. The right side guy, it's a right formation, you know, and the right formation has a tight end. 
So that right defensive end is chilling. Listen to you going at Gill right now again. This is something you always just mess with Gill about. Mega chilling. No, left tackles and right tackles are the same. Most formations are right formations. You know, I know I had a tight end on, on, on my side four times, you know, in, 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 in my career. So tight ends usually line up on the left, on the right side. The quarterback has to know that the best rusher is always going to be on the left. And that guy is waiting for that strip sack fumble. Yeah. So when you get that strip sack fumble, it demoralizes the tackle. And now the tackle is saying, I want to avoid a strip sack fumble. So I'm going to overset and I'm going to try to get him to go even wider or just not because think about this. I'm, I mean, why, why, why am I telling you this? You're an offensive lineman. You and I are no, running they back. need to know. If, if you and I are running forward, forward, right? Yeah. With, with an elastic band, we cannot beat uh, 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 any of the defensive ends. We're the slowest no. players on the field. The only chance that we have is if we lure him into going through us. Yes. And then we suffer a slow death, which we don't mind because we're selfless. And then the quarterback has enough time to throw the ball. But the ball sometimes is thrown with the guy inches away from the quarterback. That's the National Football League. And when the quarterback sits in the pocket and he takes hits and he avoids sacks, it makes the entire offensive line very trained, almost like chickens. You know yep. that the pocket is going to be from four yards to six, seven yards. The guards in the center have to be very stout. Yep. They cannot give ground, but the tackles have the hardest jobs. And the tackles, especially the left tackle, the left tackle has the hardest job. Stop. Stop. Oh, my God. Stop. The left tackle has the hardest job. He's going against the greatest athletes 1,000%. It's not even true. If I got to do a 74 protection, I got to lock up a three technique. That's a, that's a, I'm, I'm lighting up a cigarette in the middle. Of the do field. you not see the monsters coming to the inside, Al? I'm, I mean, I'm, come, come. Oh. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not your enemy here, okay? I'm not your enemy here, Al. Listen, you know, we're not, we can't have this debate between you and I. It's going to divide us. You know what I mean? The point is that where the quarterback <laughs> is on the pocket and how long the quarterback is able to keep that pocket and make the throw helps the protection tremendously. It is, it is incredible. When you have quarterbacks that, that want to run away, then the pocket becomes nothingness. Coaches say that you have to block for six seconds, which is impossible. The, the, the tackles lose their, lose their confidence. And it's a Tom Brady – play with an offensive line that were the seven dwarfs. It didn't matter. You know what I mean? It, they were, they were, it doesn't matter because they were so well-trained where Tom Brady was going to be sitting like a statue at six to seven yards, allowing the defensive ends to not be able to cut the corner and then being able to, you know, make the throws. So I think that, you know, I, I'm not an offensive coordinator. I don't want to speculate. If, if, if anybody who's coach would listen to me right now and say, why is this guy talking and playing? He doesn't understand how difficult it is to find talent. You got to cater to the talent, whatever, whatever it is, whatever, whatever it might be. But from my experience, when a, if you want to throw the ball because you want to do too many drills, if you want to be able to uh, make a, 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 a passing game on six men and five men protections consistently without having to depend on seven men protections, it's much, much, much better if the quarterback stays on the pocket and makes the throw. You know, and, and, and that's not to say that having a athletic quarterback, a mobile quarterback isn't a weapon. That's it's the 11th a, man for the for the offense. You can have right. a weapon. Right. I mean, I noticed that. I mean, I noticed that with Lamar You know, Lamar is insane athlete. I don't think, you know, if I was a GM, I would ever pick anybody other than Lamar. Lamar is ridiculous. Personally, athletically, he's amazing. 
but mobile quarterbacks don't want to feel trapped. The mobile quarterbacks don't want to have the feeling of being trapped because it gives them angst. And, and they always know that they can make a play with their, with their legs. So they always want to keep a distance away from, from pressure. You know, the, the unfortunate part is that the, those defensive ends are faster than you, bro. You know, they're going to get you. <laughs> they're going to I get, you. get you. I got to get you. Yeah. Uh, S-Fast, now you answered both of those questions flawlessly right there. I, I've, I've asked you all these questions, and, of course, I'll bring up a lot of this to Mason tomorrow. Mason's coming on tomorrow, by the way, at 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern, just for the folks who are in here, too. That'll be a hot conversation. Uh, we'll end it by this, man. I've always talked highly of him, and I know you have, too. Uh, your summary on Coach Tomlin, honestly – it, it seems like most that talk about him somewhat say the same things and how he's either shaped your mindset, uh, the message that he gives you. He has this captivating way of making you want to run through a wall for him. And I know you say you don't watch football, but, of course, with me doing this, we uh, a lot of people, of course, are talking about, you know, firing Coach Tomlin. Get rid of him. We need a change in Pittsburgh. What 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 type of coach is he? What kind of person is he? What did he mean to you? as a player coach Tomlin, I think has a philosophy <laughs> of football, which I've found throughout. I mean, you know, when coach Tom, we debated about coach Tomlin's philosophies at every porch stop, every single time that coach yeah. Tomlin would, would make a, um, would make a speech and we'll say something, we would debate it every single day. We would analyze everything. And a lot of times I remember Marquise Pouncey, would be always on Coach Tomlin's side for the most part. And I would always, you know, because of my role of being a devil's advocate, I would always try to see the other side. DA. You know I carry that to this day. Yeah. I'm going to play DA, devil's advocate, just because it's good for conversation and balance of understanding. Yes, go ahead. So I remember he would, you know, we we always had this debate as to whether the NFL is about the coaches or the players. That was one of the arguments that we had constantly and all the time and it was funny that coach Tomlin would always say it's the players and would always see and I would always be the players you know and so as I've grown up as I've been able to see uh different organizations I ratified that vision that it is the players it is the players the players have to believe that they're the ones that win in the game you know but the, the 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 people that have the control to do that are the coaches the coaches have the power of the psyche because they just they're the people that they listen to the most. They're the podcast. They're their they're Jordan Peterson. They are their, you know, Joe Rogan's. You know, they just you sit there and you listen to the same coach over and over and over and over again. And so the messages that Coach Tomlin had were incredibly helpful to anybody who's on a journey to find themselves. And I think that's the that's the part that a lot of that that's the part that I, I don't think people understand or I don't think I even understood that every year a football team is completely different. There's so many young people on a football team. And when there's so many people on a football team that are new, that are from college, you got to bring them into, a, into the same culture, into the same wavelength, into the same expectations. And I always thought that Latrobe was a place where he, he just shined. He shined like anybody else that I've ever seen. And he would always get the best out of you. Uh, he, he would never enter. He, he never entertained. Um, he never enter- He never. He never let issues linger in your head. He never. He, ne- he never created drama and divisions. He always tried. He always tried to control the team. He had a very good pulse on the team. He was really good with young people, 
he tried to explain to those who listen about all the injustices that happen on the football team, which everybody plays football. Me, you, it doesn't matter. You feel like there are injustices happening to you, especially around contract times, especially around difficult times. And his mastery of the psyche of the human mind, the, his, his mastery of where do people come from, his understanding is second to none. I don't think I've ever met anybody in my life that is as talented as Coach Tom ever in any category. You know, yeah. nobody has a mastery of the use of word. Nobody has a mastery of 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 being able to gauge the conversation and the the tone of the conversation. And nobody that has been able to address things in a way that need to be addressed. Has he made mistakes in his life? Yes, for sure. But he's not the person that's going to say that he's perfect either. So I don't think. There's anybody more talented than Coach Tomlin that I've ever met, you know? And and, and, and so for me, uh, I will always think of him in the highest, highest, highest regards. I would always think of him, all his lessons that he's ever taught me, and feel nothing but gratefulness for having been in contact with a man that I think grows from knowing the players. He stays current with the time because he's always so observant of everything that's going around in his team. And so, uh, it's not looking over your shoulder. It's not micromanaging. No. It's, it's guiding uh, is what it's I'd good, say. It's good leadership. Yeah. It's just, it's just good. It's a good, fair leadership. You know, he's, he's very modest. He's not somebody that you're, he's never going to say anything out of, out of tone in the off season. You're never going to hear him say anything that is, that is uh, disrespectful to anybody. He knows how to keep himself you know, very clean in terms of like nobody's ever gotten a tape, you know, out of Coach Tomlin <laughs> saying something ignorant or whatever. He, yeah. he's, he's just a very uh, thankful person as well. Very honest to his roots of Virginia. Always has always people from Virginia at his, you know, his homeboys from 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 back in the day. And he's out there at La Trobe, you know, his brother. Well, yeah, the, his, his boys, brother, his, his boys, his nephew. So I think that he's, uh, he's an incredible human being. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I have not kept up with, with anything that goes on with the Steelers. I'm assuming he's doing amazing. Obviously, they went to the playoffs this year. Uh, but I, I, I have also never heard, because he's such a private person, I have never heard his, his, his views on his career either. And it's not like I, I, try not, I try not to bother, you know, Coach Talman because I, I, can, I can go down, in the, down, the, down the road of idiocracy and, and send – stupid messages all day you know and i know that he's a, he's, a, he's a busy man but he will entertain it so um incredibly blessed to have met him never met anybody more talented than coach tomlin in my life um very thankful uh hope i hope and i wish him the best but i, I, don't, I don't know anything about the, the the pittsburgh steelers right now in their current situation i think it would be a, a huge mistake uh, if, if he was not the coach. I don't know what his contract situation is. Right I, I don't think that was an in-house thing for Mr. Rooney and nothing like that. But, of course, you know how sports is, though, Al. You, you, you from an outsider's perspective, been as you've been to other places, it's all about now, now, now. Like the cycle of winning championships sometimes depends on, as you just said, the locker room, age of guys, the changing of culture. It's more than just, hey, you suck as a coach. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm selfish because I'm not being coached by Coach Tomlin anymore, you, you know, and he, he is he is of no use to me. And that's why I always <laughs> thought that America would benefit tremendously if they could feel the same as I felt during those years in the locker room, if they could hear someone like Coach Tomlin as their leader. You know what I mean? Like, I always envision that 
if somebody can deliver a message like he can, uh, always based on, you know, to me, it was the, his, the staple of his coaching was, you know, the, the do not blame others. Uh, don't minimize your role. Do not make excuses. Don't seek comfort. Don't seek comfort you know what I mean? That I, I thought that that was the, that was a philosophy that is incredibly effective in, 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 in the world of football, but also in life in general, which is, you know, life is not supposed to be comfort, comfortable. Things are not supposed to happen your way, you know, and the more that you embed that into your thinking, then the more that you stop thinking about the misfortunes that have happened in your life. Everybody has misfortunes, you know, everybody has had things that have happened to them that poor me, look at me, you know, throw me the ball, put, put a tight end next to me, call 52 protection more, please, you know, don't slide the protection away from me. We could argue all day, oh, the quarterback is sliding away. At the end of the day, he always had a mentality that was very stoic, that was very uh, balanced, and that it always translated into the two values of football that I think are the same values in American society, which are hard work and sacrifice in America will take you further than anything else. There are no aristocracies. There are no Rockefellers or Vanderbilts no more. You know, if you're willing to sacrifice more than the person next to you and you're willing to do more, there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be successful. And so for yeah. me, that was his message, you know, and, 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 I, and I thought it was very, very powerful coming from him. Uh, it was very powerful coming from somebody who, you know, surrounded his circumstances, Hampton, Virginia. I've been there. I remember, you know, asking him about where he was from. His family came from North Carolina. They went to Hampton. Obviously, Hampton is a very, is a military installation uh, that, 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 that serves the military in, in, in construction works that, you know, Hampton, Virginia and Norfolk are not pristine areas. You know what right. I mean? A lot of poverty in there. And so Coach Tomlin, you know, always carried that philosophy, became extremely successful. And the fact that he's spreading that amongst young men, uh, on a football team is, is a privilege to them, but you and I are no longer in that locker room. So if we can benefit, you know, if we could all benefit from someone like him, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. it, would, it would be, it would be incredible for me because I think his talents are incredible. And maybe now that I look back at football and I'm just like, football is very inconsequential. If it's just football, what you do with your life, who cares if you're the most amazing leader in the world, if all you're doing is scoring points and then, you know, get people to buy insurance, beer, trucks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who cares, Who cares about these things? You know, let's just take those lessons to the next level somehow, you know? What one lesson I've said this in front of this uh this crowd before, man. Um, and in general, and I've talked to other people that's been in my situation before, and I give credit to my wife and my family and stuff like that too. Definitely them first, but it was a conversation I had with you one day in the cafeteria. You made a statement. You you were around me when my mom passed in camp, and I appreciate you guys surrounding me and stuff like that. And I wasn't sulking. I was reflecting or something one day, and it, something came up. And healing when you lose a parent or something like that is crazy. You've been around a lot of losses in life. You've seen a lot. Like you say, you had a plane crash not far from in front of you, so you've seen life go. You've seen people have to deal with that, too. But it was something that stuck with me, and I passed it on to other people, too, who's lost a parent or someone very, very, very close. And you said, Mo, we were in the cafeteria. I think we were either leaving or it was breakfast club one morning. He was like, Mo, man, you know, the world somewhat still goes on. You hit me with that, and you was like, when something tragic happens around you, um, you can choose a stick to stay in one spot. He's like, if you look around, everybody continue to move on. And you essentially said, like, I'm not telling you to move on, but you can remember 
you can celebrate, but don't get stuck, essentially, is what you told me. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have an optimistic... I'm an so optimistic. I, I say that to say thank you for that, because at that moment, it made me embrace, honestly, looking at pictures of my mom more, thinking about her more, in a better light because of that conversation. And as my brother, man, I say, I appreciate that. I don't know if I told you that directly. Uh, so I'm going to take it now and just throw you a couple of flower petals your way right now. Thanks. Send more. Send more. Send yes. more. No, 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 I'm not I, saying no more. Absolutely no, not. No, no. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, I remember this is, a, this is a heavy conversation, but, you know, it is what it is. First time, you know, I'm 21 years old, and the first time I saw a dead body. You know, you see a dead body in Afghanistan, and it's crazy. The first thing you do when you die is you piss yourself and you defecate right off the bat. Ooh. You know, there's nothing glorious about it. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing uh, charming about it. And when 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 you die, you, when somebody dies, the you, you you realize that your own mortality. And when you realize your own mortality, then you realize that you cannot name a hundred names from a hundred years ago. That there's been billions of people that have populated Earth. And we don't remember them all, you know, because that's the cycle of life, you know. And I think life lives in eternity through your kids. You know, when you when you pass down your life lessons, when you influence others, when you pass down your DNA, that's how you, us as humans in this temporary, very short life. In, in, in you know, we, we're given we're given one opportunity at life. We don't know how long it's going to be. And then it ends and then that's it. You know, there's, 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 there's your own beliefs as to what happens uh, afterwards. But in the big scheme of things, man, there's a person dying every seven seconds. You know what I mean? You know, there's always constantly people dying and passing away and it is, and it is part of life and there's nothing you can do about it. So a lot of times in Afghanistan, when that happens, a lot of, a lot of soldiers, you know, you, you almost have to make a choice. You know, you're going to make a choice that you're going to, you're going to let it go. This is, by the way, this is Top Gun. This is what happens to Top Gun. <laughs> you right? are, you, you think you're a six foot 10 Tom Cruise too. That's what I've also taken away. I am Tom Cruise. Until Mason <laughs> showed up, you know, I was Tom Cruise, but it's true. You get, I mean, I, I thought that that was a very good moment in the movie where, where it truly, you know, the first time you lose a soldier from evil to under your responsibility passes away and you're like, man, what are you going to do? And then you realize that there's other soldiers that you still got to lead on the next day. That You got kids, you know what I mean? That you have other people that, that, that depend on you. And then you have to try to do your best. Because at the end of the day, you know, and this is what Dave and I always talk about, we're lizards. You know, we just have a brain that says, wake up in the morning, try to find some food, try to scavenge some water, you know what I mean? Try to get some sun, try to warm yourself. And then when you feel tired, go to sleep. And then the next day you try to do it again. And we, and we try to do the best that we can with what we are given. And that's life. And life is is not amazing and it's not the worst. It's just what it is. There's no way to define it. Words cannot define grief, loss, whatever. It's just, it's just, it's a conscious decision to say this thing happened. It will happen to me. I got to make the most out of it. That's what, you know, uh, 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 optimist nihilist, you know, nothing matters. So make the most out of it. You know, that, yeah. that is the, that, that is sort of the, 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 the plain and simple lesson. Nothing else matters. Whether your car gets trashed tomorrow, whether you lose your house, whether anything happens, you know, a hurricane, please, Please don't come to the city of Miami, but a hurricane just wipes out the entire city. You know what I mean? You got to do it again. God forbid. You know, I always think about it. You know, Dave and I would always talk about this. What were two Germans having breakfast club in Germany in 1913 talking about? Like, oh, oh, Hans, you know, next year we're going to have so much fun. And then you got 70 years of war and destruction upon you. You will never see peace in your lifetime. 
Yeah. You never know when, you know, the next thing is going to happen. So you make the most out of it every single day. And then that's, that's all you can do. Just uh, control your ad. Apps. 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 Munch. Apps. You do apps and then you move on, you know, and then that's it. You know, you cannot, you cannot dwell. You cannot dwell on, 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 on the injustice in life. You cannot dwell on the whys. You know, you, 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 we're just we're just an, a, an ant colony living on this American continent. You know, trying trying to do the best we can. You know what I mean? So what, was, I, what was Munch's apps acronym? Attitude determines practice. Practice determines performance. Performance determines success. Such an army dude. Not army. A, that's not, that's I said it like a military. But, but, but that's no. Munch though. But that's that's him incorporating that though, man. Apps. Oh. I remember uh, uh, Pouncey hated apps. He couldn't stand he apps. Because <laughs> all he wanted to do apps. play football. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, it is true. It's easier said than done, but your attitude towards anything in life is what determines everything and absolutely, you know. And, you know, sometimes I'll admit I have a horrible attitude today. You know, today, I'm, you know, it's going to be a bit, you know, it is what it is. But if you want to make the most out of something, you got to. Start with not making excuses and having a good attitude. That's that, I mean, that's that's what we learned with this with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's why the lessons that we learned in life have shaped us into whoever we are today, for sure. That's so true, man. Dog, you got you coming back on at some point, correct? We'll just bull crap around the next. I don't time. know what I'm doing right now, man. For me, for all I know, I'm FaceTiming you right now. You, and we're you just, just life. no, because if you really you, FaceTiming just, me, you 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 be cussing like a sailor. Is what you be doing? Uh, yeah, sure, but but what I'm saying is. <laughs> I understand these endeavors. I understand that that the, the, the media has been something that, that that you're passionate about. That you're trying to give back to, to the people, and you have an amazing voice, a great personality. You brighten people's days. You are Ramon Foster. You did this when you were a player. People are drawn to you. This is not something. Now I don't know if you're talking smack Come about on. players. I don't know if that's the that's the number one sin of the media and football. You, you know what I do? You know what I so so I don't know here's if you've been here, the Times players on the Times on the Tennessee here Times. We go. I don't know if you've been so, questioning you, the you, you, you know what? You know what happens? I watch the tape. And if I understand what the tape said, then I talk about if it was good, if it's oh, bad. But, so, but no 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 hear so me Rabel, out. So I give no 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 Rabel was giving he's you no, the he's no longer here. He's no longer here. Was giving you the script? Was, no, was no. He giving you the script? If there okay, was okay. a bad, I, no, 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 no. If there's a an egregious bad play, or the fact that you will not or cannot move the line of scrimmage, out, that that is something that you have to tell. That's noticeable. You know when it looks bad. The same way that we just spoke about how it could be with Mason or a quarterback rolling out of the pocket too quick. Negativity stuff. See, no, no. See, this is what you do. No, we don't practice negativity. We practice truth here. Access base. We practice truth here, and this is just you Al, no taking over no and trying to play devil's advocate. This is your DA moment right here. You there miss me? No, just say no that. Nothing just is say true. that. We could be in the major. Just say right you now. miss me. You... Just say. Just say you miss me. Okay, oh, Al. Sure. I miss you. I miss you. But I'm just giving you. I'm just giving you the heads up. You know, <laughs> to, to the media. The heads up. Know what it's like. You know what I mean. Know what it's like. <laughs> That's beautiful. Hey man, I gotta go get my kid. RJ uh, Miles is here already, man. You'd be surprised how big the boys are, Ale. Um, but a good time. Did you freeze up on me again? I always got this terrible service, man. Ale. Either way, good people. If Al doesn't pop back in here, that may actually conclude our show, man. We've given you almost two hours man uh and i appreciate you guys for tuning in um dolly you can take us away peace